1: Welcome to the show, Monday, a new week. It is great to be back. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand Them for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions and life questions, whatever's on your heart and mind. All you have to do is call us, and we'll try to help. Two one zero. 3409585 is our number. It's 3409585. Uh, if you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at 877-630KSLR. That's 6305757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Uh, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send the questions in that way. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app, and we would get your questions through our studio producer. Uh, 340-9585 is our main number. Hey, uh, thanks for tuning in. I want to thank Pastor Ken for filling in for me last week. I had an opportunity to make Paula the most beautiful girl in california for five days and so that's what we did we went to the beach and just sort of hung out and didn't do anything the weather was perfect we had a great time uh physically are rested um and um and we thank those of you who prayed for us while we were gone a couple of other quick things and then we'll get into our questions while we await your phone calls uh, tonight is our ladies bible study and our men's uh, and youth Bible studies as well. So 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, the ladies are doing sort of the past second week of the Pastor's Wives. Uh, I call it a retreat debriefing. Just going to share with the ladies uh, what God was sharing to their hearts. Uh, while they were on their Pastor's Wives retreat uh, the week before last. So uh, we'd love to have you there. You can watch that the women's part of it anyway at 7 o'clock on Calvary Essay.com, because we live stream it. Uh, The other thing I want to tell you, and I'm really excited about this, is uh, we need your prayers. Whenever we ask you to pray, uh, you do. Uh, But one of the things that uh, um, I, I... we've got coming up is our annual joy of jesus celebration that's this coming sunday beginning at 11 o'clock in the morning till three o'clock in the afternoon at travis park in downtown san antonio now i've had the opportunity to meet some of you in years past uh, at joy of jesus Uh, paul and i will be there we'd love to have you come out and join us what you're going to see is ministry at its finest and by that i i mean the the hearts of the people um uh, it is a whole day of just being a blessing to people now primarily the audience that we're ministering to down at the park is the homeless population um we're giving away free food haircuts makeovers uh, our medical clinic um teams will be out there and so we can look at people physically um uh, just so much going on and we'd love to have you join us there'll be thousands and thousands of people there throughout the day we'll have some music and food of course Um, We'd love to have you out there. So Travis Park, this coming Saturday from 11 o'clock until 3 o'clock for Joy of Jesus. If you are a radio listener and uh, you come out to the park, please, please, please. Tell somebody, they'll be wearing red shirts. All of the people from Calvary Chapel will be wearing red shirts. Find a red shirt and tell them, can I meet Pastor Ron? I'd love to meet you, and thank you for for coming. So that's this coming Saturday. Uh, Friday on the show, I'm going to have Pastor Juan Ortiz, who is our our missions pastor and Joy of Jesus pastor, uh, who's doing all the work, getting it set up. Uh, So he'll be on the show to talk about Joy of Jesus uh, on Friday afternoon. Okay, let's get to some questions while we await your phone calls. Uh, Here is my first question. It comes from Sarah. Uh, Pastor Ron, is it possible that the six days of creation were longer than 24 hours? Sarah, there's no reason to to believe or even infer that they were. Um, The the Hebrew word uh, for day is the word that's always used to describe a 24-hour day. Um, it's never used in any of the context in the Hebrew language. So the idea that it could be stretched, so maybe a day is a thousand years. That's what Peter says. That's figurative language. Um, uh, maybe there was a gaps in the distance but, uh, or between the days. Uh, but there's no reason to even suggest that there is. Uh, I, I know, Sarah, that there are those who speculate that they must have been because we get all these reports that the earth is millions or billions of years old and, and that sort of science fiction has been crammed down our throats. Uh, the truth of the matter is um, God could do it in, in six seconds if he wanted to do it, um, but he took six days and then he rested because the work was complete. Uh, the Holy Spirit seems to go out of his way to talk about the the first day, the morning and the, and the evening, or a day, the, the second day, the morning and an evening, and he repeats that over and over and over, as if to, to be as specific as he possibly can, uh, letting us know that, that these are 24-hour days. So, Sarah, I don't think it's possible at all. Of course, obviously, anything is possible. But um, these are accommodations. These kind of theories are accommodations to evolution or, or uh, millions or billions of years old earth. And it's just not necessary for Christians to go there. There is zero support biblically for anything more than a literal six-day, hour day creation. So I hope that helps, Sarah. Thanks for asking the question. Here is a hard question from William. He says, will you share your thoughts on the church's responsibility to embrace social justice? Uh, William, the reason I said this is a hard question is because nobody knows what social justice is. Um, The secular world has defined social justice as tearing down all forms of inequality. Um, You know, embracing sort of a socialistic... Approach to um, everybody being equal and everybody having access to the same things and opportunity being equal and, and material means being equal, um, um, personal responsibility and and uh, um, promise for the future being equal. Those things are never going to happen. And so I think I think most of the, the the emphasis on social justice comes from the secular world. What is a shame, William is that there are many, many people inside the church who have decided that social justice is going to be the, the spiritual or theological horse that they ride on. And, and the problem is, uh, that's just not what our Bibles tell us it is. Um, social responsibility, uh, 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 social justice rather, cannot make everybody equal. Uh, social justice can't make access to all things equal for everybody. We live in a fallen world. Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. Um, So the literal term, social justice, uh, is just so broad that it's impossible to embrace. Now, having said that, let me explain what the church's responsibility is, William. The church's responsibility is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, period, end of story. That's all we do. The problem with those who are inside the church emphasizing social justice, the problem they have is that, one, they don't know their Bibles. Secondly, they're not living their lives. Thirdly, I think, uh, in, in, a, in a more positive vein, uh, there are people with tender hearts and they just hate to see people hurting. But the most just thing we can do for anyone and everyone is to declare the just one, Jesus Christ. And social justice is uh, sort of a, a made-up term. Justice, by definition, is justice for all. Uh, the problem is we don't live in a just world. And the hearts of the people clamoring for social justice, uh, their hearts are not just. So what we do, William, over and over and over, and this is the only job of the church, it is to, 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 to strengthen the church for the work that God has called them to do, to equip the saints, Paul says, for the work of ministry. So um, I, I don't, we don't have a responsibility to anyone but Christ. If we fulfill that responsibility, then we will reach out and minister to those at all levels of life, the lost, the hurting, the hungry, the broken, the needy, and the confused, and that's just being light in the middle of this dark world so it's really important let me say one other thing William when churches are doing what God has called them to do what we end up seeing is the heart of God towards the poor the heart of God to those who have unequal access let me give you an example and I've used it on this program before in response to questions like this Uh, I can't do anything about slavery in the world. I can't do anything about sexual slavery. What I can do is free people from the confines of those things by introducing them to Jesus. You know, it's interesting, in the little book of Philemon, um, Onesimus, the protagonist in the story, uh, he was a slave. Um, uh, In the Roman world, slaves outnumbered Free people four to one. And, and it wasn't a black and white issue. It wasn't a race issue at all. It was an economic issue. And slaves had zero rights. The world was so difficult. And this runaway slave, always looking over his shoulder, William, always looking over his shoulder for fear of be- being caught. One day in Colossae, he hears Paul, or rather he was in Rome at the time. Uh, he was from Colossae. Uh, here's Paul as a prisoner proclaiming freedom in Christ Jesus, and you can imagine how that would have hit his heart. and And literally, by by saying yes to an invitation, he was set free. And then Paul could tell him um, um, how how to live as a slave in a way that would honor Christ. He could speak to Philemon, uh, who was also a believer, in fact, a pastor of the house church that Paul was writing to. And, and he could instruct Philemon on in how to treat this runaway slave, how to forgive him, give another opportunity. And he was set free. So he was a beneficiary of social justice. And going back to what... God gives vision to churches to accomplish Uh, God will take care of the poor Uh, our church and certainly we're a poor church uh, we give everything away free Um, we still have ministries to sick people multi-medical to free family practice doctor's office And people come from all over San Antonio and they get great medical care. They get the gospel. They get prayer. And they don't pay anything for it. That's embracing what you would call social justice. We have a free school. Great education. We're in our 20th year. Costs us a ton of money, but we don't charge anybody for anything. And we're raising kids to know Jesus Christ. Well, at the same time, we're educating them with a very challenging curriculum. So if churches will simply do what God's called them to do, then God will send people out to take care of those who are victims of social injustice from the world's perspective. So William, these are really important concepts to deal with. And something that we've got to embrace. But remember the how to embrace is what matters. We have to do it the way Jesus said. And the church's responsibility is to make disciples, to win converts, to equip those converts for the work of ministry. Then God gives them gifts and he sends them out all over the world. And the amount of Socially just and loving work that's being done in this world is overwhelmingly being done by believers in Jesus Christ. Remember, the poor are a fact of life. As much as we'd like it not to be that way, Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always. We need to remember that. And then stay in our lane, William. When we stay in our lane, God is the one who does the work. I hope that makes sense to you. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is my next question from Holly. Why would Job's friends be so cruel to him, accusing him of sin? Holly, because they were jerks. <laughs> I mean, that's the only reason, you know. These are the guys, to their credit now, they came and, and for the first week, they just sat with him and they mourned with him. They cried with him. Um you know that's what we're supposed to do mourn with those who mourn but then they couldn't help themselves and the reason they were so cruel is because they viewed God from a human perspective and to them it seemed as though Job must have done something wrong or God wouldn't let this happen you know that's something happens today somebody gets sick or somebody's going through a bad spell, unfortunately, Holly, there are Christians who will say, oh, well, they must be in sin or they must be doing something wrong. Um, That's just being a jerk, just like Job's friends. And the truth of the matter is is they turned out to be miserable friends. uh, But it was all flesh. So that's why they would do it. The same thing, Holly, that your flesh and mine would do uh, if we were absent the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to line one. we got an anonymous caller from San Antonio. Thanks for calling. You're on the air.
2: Hello, Mr. Pastor. How are you doing?
1: Doing well, thank you.
2: I have a uh, question for you. You know, we as a Christian community, how do we better prepare ourselves, or how do we prepare ourselves uh, for, for the second coming of Christ? Mm. I'll listen to your response on the radio.
1: Okay, thank you. I love that question, Anonymous. I keep telling our church here that Jesus is coming. He's coming for us in the rapture of the church. It could happen at any moment. And sadly, far too many of us are not prepared for it. It's almost like we don't believe it. And even asking the question here demonstrates that this is a concern of your heart. So here's how we prepare for the coming of the Lord. Now, First, I want to emphasize that for Christians, uh, we're going to be caught up in the air, call the rapture, we're going to be caught up in the air, and we're going to be taken to be with Jesus when he comes. If, we, if he comes before we die, if Jesus were to come right now, um, then, then this anonymous caller and I would be able to meet in the air. We'd be staring at Jesus and we would be ready. Now, the way we live our lives, Paul says, over and over, is to walk in the power of the Spirit. And if we're walking in the power of the Spirit, if we're producing fruit that will last, that's what Jesus says that we're to do. If we're producing fruit that will last, then we're going to be used by God to win other people who are not yet believers to Christ. And, and we're here to occupy. On a Sunday this week, Anonymous, I don't know where you go to church, but if you can get over here or watch it online, uh, I'm going to be uh, doing in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, uh, the parable of the minas. Um, and, and Jesus says, basically, here's how you live to prepare for me. Um, he, he gave them some money to invest, and and uh, they were to invest that money. He went away for a long time, symbolic of Jesus' leaving earth, going ascending into heaven. Uh, Jesus certainly has been away a long time. And then when he comes back, we have to give a, an accounting. And one of the, 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 the servants says, well, um, with the one minor you gave me, I, I produced ten others. And he was told, well done. Uh, another one says, well, with the minor you gave me, I produced five others. He said, well done. Well, the, the one who, who was last was said, well, well, I know you're a hard man. And I was afraid. So, I buried that now here it is it's still yours, and Jesus calls him a wicked, and I would add lazy servant. So the way we prepare for the coming of the Lord anonymous is to be out there sharing the gospel with people. We need to live our lives pleasing to God. we do that, we'll produce fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control We'll produce those things. And God will use us to win other people. Make no mistake, the reason we're here on this earth right now is to be used by God to win others. We need to make Jesus attractive to others through the demonstration of our lives. But then we tell them with our mouths what's the source of our strength and what the source of our joy and, and where our hope lies. And so that's how we prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord now again remember the coming of the Lord is going to be the second coming of the Lord Jesus during the rapture is not coming to earth he's going to call us to be with him but we're going to be with him for seven years he's going to come back here at the end of the great tribulation that's the second coming of the Lord and that's when he's going to deal with the the world only in judgment so what we do is we prepare people now for the judgment to come And then when we're taken to be with the Lord, then we will have our wedding banquet with Jesus. We will receive our rewards, and we will be told that we were well done, good and faithful servant. Or we'll be told that our works never measured up. It doesn't mean we're not going to be saved, but it means that our works were for us instead of for Jesus. So, I hope that answers your question. It's a good one. There's one more thing, Anonymous. It is impossible to live in the Spirit. It's impossible to be ready for the return of Christ unless you are continually in the Word of God. Truth is, we don't know how to live our lives. I was sharing in my Bible study yesterday here at Calvary Chapel. I was sharing that when I got saved, I I didn't know what to do. I, I, I met Jesus. I was radically changed instantly. But I I didn't know anything about him. I wasn't raised in church. I'd never opened a Bible before. And so here I am, all of a sudden, a new person. And I didn't know how to deal with this world. So what I had to learn to do was get in the Word and find out what Jesus told me to do. And if you're a man of God's Word, and if you're a man with His heart, and you've called enough times that we know your heart, He will prepare you and use you in preparation for his return to earth? Good question. Thank you very, very much. Never, ever, anybody in this audience, never stop preparing for the return of God. Three minutes. Here's a three-minute question from Raul. He says, I think God is punishing me for my past sins. How can I get away from being punished? Um, Raul, you don't know who God is. I'm not suggesting you're not saved. That's between you and Jesus. But if God has forgiven and forgotten your past sins, how could he punish them? If Jesus paid the price for your past sins, how could he punish you again? So the thing you need to know is who he is. You need to understand by faith what he's done. And God is not a punishing God. Now I know in the Old Testament, God punishes people He judges them. But remember, we're in this age called grace. And God doesn't punish. Now, Raul, he does discipline us. If we go off course, he disciplines us. But he never punishes. That's what humans do. That's not what God does. God loves you. He's forgiven and forgotten your sins. They're as far from you as east is from west. If, in fact, you receive Jesus Christ... And so you have to know who he is and what he's done. You may be experiencing the consequences from your past sins, but those consequences aren't from God. However, having said that, God will use even those consequences to draw you nearer to him. So, Raul, if you're a born-again Christian, you're not being punished for anything you've done. If you're not a born-again Christian, then the fact that you feel guilty you feel like God is punishing you, it's a gift because it's God saying to you, come to me so that your sins can be completely wiped away. And that's what he wants to do. So Raul, it's really important that you know who he is. Uh, If you are a new believer, and usually the question, or questions like this come from fairly new believers, open your Bible and find out what God has done. If you do me a favor, Raul, read today Romans chapter 3. And if by the time you get to chapter 3, verse 24, you're not convinced, you call back or write back and let me know. and We'll talk about it some more. Romans 3, 24, when I was a new believer, is the verse that set me free from the kind of guilt and condemnation that you're experiencing. So learn who God is, remember what He's done, and rejoice in the freedom that He's provided. We've got 30 minutes left in our Monday program, 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. We'll be back in two minutes.
0: to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh
1: welcome back to the program we have 30 minutes left 340-9585 here's a loaded question from daniel he said pastor Ron, is there racism in the church daniel write this down Of course there is. Of course there is. Now, the reason there's racism in the church is because there are people in the church and people have flesh. And racism, make no mistake, is a work of the flesh, a stinky, stinky work of the flesh. And of course there's racism in the church. As long as there are places where people gather, there's going to be this kind of ugliness and this kind of evil. Now, if your question had been, should there be, the answer would be no. You know, Jesus doesn't recognize race. Uh, Jesus recognizes two groups of people in this world, those who are his and those who are not. And Daniel, if we who are in the church would understand that and have his heart, then we wouldn't even see skin color it just wouldn't be a factor. Everybody's a child of God or they're not a child of God and those that are not a child of God are the object of our ministry. But of course there's racism in the church. Um, one of the things that is heartbreaking to the Lord and certainly heartbreaking to me uh, are so many churches who are all white or all black or all... Um, brown, or all Asian, um, I understand where there are language differences. I also understand that a lot of times um, we go to our neighborhood churches and so they're going to be populated by the people in our neighborhood. But here's the thing that we've learned here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, Daniel. We've learned that if we do our job, if we open up our Bibles and teach the Word, then God brings people to us. And what he's done for our church is he's made our church look like a perfect mix of the city that we live in. We have people that drive a long way. We just started a church on the far northwest side in the Alamo Ranch area. Those people have been driving. Now, that's that's on a good day, a 45-minute drive. And we've met people that have been driving that for, for 10, 12, 15 years. And the truth is... Um, you know, that's really not optimal because they want to serve and they can't be here as much as they'd like to be. So it was just time to start another church over there. But I can promise you that church is going to be a reflection of the community. And that's the way churches should be. So yes, there's racism in the church. It is a grievous sin. It breaks the heart of God. We also live in a world that bombards us with messages about racism and, and there's race in our country that's sort of under every rock. And until we forget that the only thing that matters is whether or not we belong to Jesus Christ, um, racism is going to stay. The enemy uses it. Our flesh actually likes the separation. And uh, unfortunately, there is racism um, that's prevalent. Now, as you probably know, Daniel, I don't know which Daniel you are. We have several who call or, or, or write in questions. Um, uh, Paula and I are a mixed race couple she's black and and I'm very very white um, and we've been told here in Texas that, that we're not fit to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because God hates mixed marriages and when people say things like that it just demonstrates how racist they really are but it also demonstrates how ignorant they are of what the Bible says and what God means by mixed marriages God is still against mixed marriages But a mixed marriage, in God's eyes, is between believer and unbeliever. Not between black and white, or or brown and black, or brown and white, or any other combination of people. So yes, there's racism in the church. No, it's not going to go away. Um, But it ought to be the goal of every church to reflect the community that they live in, period. And by the way, Daniel, this is one of those areas that pastors like me need to emphasize over and over and over because we need people to think new. Paul writes to the church at Rome that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. What we have to do is think new, get rid of the old stuff that we were growing up with. Very quick story. Uh, When I I met Paula, my dad disowned me. And uh, I loved Paula. It didn't matter. Uh, My grandma, um, who, who loved me um, she opened her heart to Paula one day she heard my dad say kind of making an excuse Ronnie I'm too old to change now and she told dad that's a crock she said you know I'm older than you are and if Ronnie loves her I'm going to love her that's the way you got to be in the church so I hope that answers your question thank you for asking let's go to jeff online one from san antonio jeff thank you for calling you're on the air
2: hey pastor ron how was your trip
1: jeff it was wonderful it was a little too short but other than that it was great
2: oh that's awesome i couldn't wait to call you this week um it's really just a call to to vetification and encouragement for you um I really wanted to connect some dots with Calvary, since I've you know I've been listening to you for about two and a half years now, mm-hmm. and um, my wife and I finally got to a Bible study. We went to uh, to the Spanish Bible study at five o'clock and heard oh, Pastor good. Chris. Yeah, and and I tell you, my my wife doesn't speak English very well. You know, we're in Hispanic ministry and everything. I've told you bits and pieces about that. So she's only heard me talk about you and Paula, and talk about the church. But she's extremely discerning, and first of all, she was so inspired by the kindness of the people that were around us. Everyone, front, center, left, right, and back, reached out to us even before the service started. And um, and then of course. Pastor Chris went into his study, and, and it was just magnificent. And <laughs> we, we we left there really sensing, my wife especially, she said, this is a church of God. This is a work of God, this church. So then while you were hmm. gone last week, I listened to your testimony twice, and then I listened to your vision statement which I think you recorded probably back in like 96 or 97 Mm -hmm. and uh, I I just I I can't express enough to you um, just what that means for me in my walk right now to hear that story to hear your life and, and to know that God did a work like he did when he called you and Paula, and when you got to that 536 miles from El Paso to San Antonio, (laughs) apartment 414, you know, just just amazed. And, And then, of course, then I went back and listened to Pastor Ken's testimony and have had the privilege of, you know, going on the website and backtracking and listening to men's Bible studies and catching up with that and has really, really brought something to me that, that I haven't had in my disgruntled uh, Methodist background, you know, as of late. But I just mm-hmm. want to thank you, Pastor Ron. I mean, I can't tell you what that's that's done for my, you know, you have a, you have a house full of people and you have a, a, a wonderful membership but to just be a little bit, a little part of it from the outside and hearing how God spoke to you about the radio ministry when there was no money and how, <laughs> how Raul, Raul said, no, I can't do it. Blah, blah, blah. Just how everything came together. Just fascinating to, to finally connect some dots. And so I'm, I'm going to collect my hug and my wife is coming to hug Paul as well on Saturday. So we'll see you at Joy Jesus.
1: Oh, great. Jeff, I can't wait to to see you in person. Thank you very, very much. Hey, keep listening to the program. I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the things that you said here as well. God bless you, man. Thank you so much. Um, if you can, listen to the study that I'm going to do this Wednesday night because the Lord is sort of putting the, the, the pedal to the metal uh, on a new vision that he's given. It's not a new vision. We've had it for a long time, but, but a new vision to get started that... That to me, frankly, seems more impossible than the free school that we're doing. Uh, but but it's just sort of this unfolding vision. I'm glad that you mentioned the the, the vision. The original one was recorded in in ninety five or ninety six, and um, um, e, e, those were things that God told us we we're going to do before we ever did. And now all those things are happening, and it's just God preparing us um, uh, with His faithfulness and. And it has been a great ride. I Also, want to want to thank you for coming to the to the Spanish Bible study. Uh, please pray for Pastor Chris and Elvira uh, um, soon, and I hope not too soon, but but pretty soon. Uh, they're on their way to Michoacan, Mexico, to plant another church uh, from ours. Uh, it is going to absolutely break my heart when they leave, uh, Chris although he is younger and better looking and stronger than i am uh what you heard was my heart there's there's a man who has my heart and i not only love him but but cannot recommend him highly enough uh i had him teach for me this past friday night while we were gone in english of course um but uh um you know we're already live streaming his messages uh, every sunday evening uh, to Mitchell Khan to the people who are there. And he's got a congregation there waiting for him. So it's just a matter of him going away. But he is absolutely the best of the best. And and uh, um, we've known for years now that he's going. Uh, as we get closer to that time, uh, my heart breaks and rejoices at the same time. Uh, but that Spanish Bible study is a wonderful group of people. And the fact that they uh, they loved on you and your wife is a real blessing to me. While I was gone. Thank you very much. My producer just sent me a note. You know Paul is crying right now. I said yeah she probably is. At home. Thank you Jeff. God bless you. Wow. three four zero ninety Here is a question from Abe. He says. Will we have free will in heaven? Um, Abe. A- the, the answer. I, I guess from an earthly perspective. Will be no. Um, but we won't need free will in heaven because when we are transformed, um, when the rapture of the church happens, uh, when we're ruling and reigning with Christ on, 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 the, on the earth for the millennium, um, uh, we're going to have bodies, glorified physical resurrected bodies like Jesus, but that means we're going to have us heart as well. And, and we're, we won't ever want to make a choice that opposes God. So we won't need free will because it will be the single desire of our heart to represent him, to be like him, and to enjoy his presence. So in heaven, we won't even want free will. We won't need it. There's not going to be any opposing force. Our flesh will be crucified. We have free will now. Uh, We can choose to serve God and obey God, or we can choose not to. Um, God allows us the free will to do that. But when this old flesh, Abe, is burned up, um, no more struggle between spirit and flesh. We will be just like Jesus. Now remember when he was here, he said, I only do what pleases my Father. We're going to be like that. And what a time that will be for all of us. Good question, Abe. Thank you. Here is a question from Ryan. Uh, Pastor Ron, will false teachers be in heaven or hell? Um, Ryan, there's no way we can know that. Uh, a lot would depend on whether or not their false teaching is um, um, coming from the right heart. You remember the Apostle Paul said that some were preaching the gospel uh, trying to cause problems for him. Others were teaching out of, out of the right heart. Uh, He said, but I've learned to rejoice that the gospel was being proclaimed. Uh, If somebody is deliberately teaching false doctrine and they know it, um, then that person is not a believer. They can say they are. They can sound like they are. They can appear to be very successful. But the truth is, uh, a, a real believer with the real Holy Spirit can't knowingly, willingly lead people astray. And if they're doing it um, from the wrong heart, the wrong motives, then they're going to have a terrible price to pay. Peter, in in Second Peter, says that darkest blackness is reserved for them. Jeremiah is even scarier. Um, Jeremiah chapter twenty three. Read that, and it'll tell you uh, what God's heart toward false teachers is. Now, I, I the reason I, I've, I've hesitated a little bit here, Ryan, is because I know people believe false doctrine. But they believe it because they've been taught it. And then having been taught it, it's hard to shake. And, you know, people want God to attend to every need they have. People want to believe God wants them to be rich and God wants them to be healthy. Uh, and, and uh, you know, they don't really have a grip on what the Bible really says. And and the truth is, there's going to be a lot of people with false doctrine who are going to be in heaven, and they're going to realize then how much they missed out on. Um, I, I've known a, a pastor who was a prosperity gospel guy, and um, uh, when I would talk to him about this, I mean, this guy's a, a man that had a heart for God. He loved God. Um, um, I'll never forget one day in the gym, he was listening to something, and I said, "So what are you listening to today?" And he goes, oh, I'm listening to the greatest teaching in the world on integrity. And I said, well, who's teaching? And he said, Kenneth Copeland. And I looked at him and I said, you know there's no integrity on that message in integrity. And he looked at me and he shook his head and he goes, you know, I just can't believe that the God that I've learned about doesn't want the best for us in this life. And and, and I'm convinced he's going to be in heaven. So I think the answer to the question is, yes, they're going to be in heaven. Some of them, a few of them, uh, but there's going to be many, many more who know what they're doing is wrong, knowing what they're doing is evil. I think when they get to heaven, they're going to find Jesus saying, depart from me, for I never knew you. Lord, Lord, they'll say, and he'll say, why do you call me Lord? I never knew you. And that's going to be um, a time of absolute terror. And yet I think the Bible's pretty clear on that destination. So I hope that explains well enough. Here's a question from Matthew. I need to know how Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit um, when he, the Holy Spirit, hadn't yet been given. You're talking about Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother. And uh, we know that John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit. These are exceptions. The Spirit came upon them, but didn't come in them. And that's really important. Jesus, when he breathed on his disciples, said, Receive the Holy Spirit of God. He said that because the Spirit hadn't been given yet. Now the Spirit, throughout the Old Testament, Matthew, comes upon people. Um, you can read the book of Judges, and, and, and men like Samson, and the Spirit come upon them, and they, they, they did miraculous things. But the Spirit also departed from them. And the purpose of the Spirit then was to get them to be able to accomplish what God called them to do. In the case of the judges, it was to deliver the, his people, Israel, from their oppressors. But because they did what seemed right in their own mind, that the, Spirit would, the, the Spirit would depart from them. And so when Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit came upon her, and she felt, you remember the baby, a leap in her womb into the sound of Mary's voice. So the Spirit came upon her, a one-time event, but the Spirit, because he hadn't yet been given, never came to live in someone. David never had the Spirit of God living in him. People say, well, how could David be called a man after God's own heart? He didn't have the Holy Spirit like you and I do. The question, Matthew, isn't how could David sin. The question is, how can we sin when we've been given the Holy Spirit something David didn't enjoy. On Elizabeth's case, the Spirit had not yet been given, but the Spirit came upon. One other thing is to remember, and this is a great hermeneutic for you to remember, Matthew, is that, that when you read about Elizabeth and Mary and Jesus and John the Baptist, um, they're basically Old Testament figures. Um, though they're, they appear in the Gospels, um, John, for example, was was a, a prophet of God, a, a Jewish prophet, and and um, the part of the old dispensation, and not part of the new. Matthew, um, you know that Jesus brought in the new dispensation with him, but he lived under the law, the old dispensation. Um, that'll help you understand the differences in the spirit. Good question. 340-9585. Jason asks a question. This is interesting based on the call we got from Jeff a little bit earlier. He said, uh, I want to know what made you decide that Calvary Chapel was the church for you. You know, Jason, um, I have an interesting background that way. When I got saved, um, not having been raised in church at all, um, uh, I, I didn't. I, I I just assumed all churches were the same. Um, I'd been in a Catholic church for a funeral, so I knew it was kind of dark and bleak. But but I figured, you know, hey, it's a church; it's a safe place. Uh, but that wasn't the case. So um, um, what made me decide that Calvary was a church for me is 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 really it found me. Paul and I used to go to many many churches, and I, I just couldn't get enough. And when I went to, to First Calvary Chapel, David Rosales, who's now a friend of mine, was the pastor of the church, Calvary Chapel of Ontario, California at the time. Um, and when he taught, uh, there, was, there was an authority. There was, a, there was the ring of truth. And it started to make sense as he went verse by verse through the Bible. That's how important it was. And it, since it made sense to me, Jason, uh, I just knew it was the Spirit spoke to my heart and said, this is what I've called you to do. So good question. I may come back to that one tomorrow and and, add a little bit more. Let me go to a phone call. We've got four minutes left. Rebecca from San Antonio. Thank you for holding, Rebecca. You're on the air.
0: Um, I just wanted to know a little bit more about the school and the programs that they have. Do you all have a music teacher?
1: Uh, Rebecca, we, we, we have music teachers in the church, but we don't have music class. We are really, really confined by limited space. But our school uh, is grades K through 12. This is our 20th year. It's absolutely free. It doesn't cost anything. Um, th- we have a, a worship team, uh, kids that play instruments and sing uh, in the school. Chapel is here every day. Uh, and so there's there's plenty of opportunities. But we do not have a, a music class as a general ed class or as an elective class simply because we don't have the space to do it. But plenty of opportunities. We've got people in the church that give music lessons to many of the kids in church and, and they're really excited about worship. I think we've got more kids on our worship teams than we do uh, adults. So uh, there's plenty of opportunities. The school's absolutely free. Uh, the curriculum is is very, very challenging. Uh, we are pretty old school. We don't socially promote kids. We don't allow drugs in school. And by that I mean ADHD stuff. We just believe that consistency, love, discipline and prayer uh, will accomplish those things, uh, and we want to teach kids to read and write, but most importantly, we want to prepare them uh, to declare Jesus Christ in a world that's gone uh, nuts in opposition to him. So it is a great, great school, and uh, the teachers are all people we know. We don't hire from the outside. They're people from our church. We know them. We know their character. They have been tested and tried a very, very long time. Um I think the best way to get more information Rebecca is to go to calvarysa.com and then hit the link that says academy on it and it will give you all of the information a brief rundown of our history uh and uh and and I think you'll be blessed so uh, I hope that answers your question we do have some after school sports programs um we we don't have all things that we would like but um that's that's probably all I can do uh, in the time that we have Rebecca does that help or do you have a more specific question yeah
0: yeah it does and then I have a second question on Saturday okay um, people that are not members of your church come to participate to help
1: absolutely we'd love to have you just come and find somebody in a red shirt tell them to introduce you to me and uh, if you want to minister and help God bless you and there'll be so many people to talk to and 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 witness okay. to it, it, it's uh, it's hard to describe uh, on the radio uh, but but literally throughout the day, be thousands of people down there, and more opportunities to help. Uh, one thing I can say on on the air: we need hairstylists, barbers. If if anybody out there is a licensed barber and hairstylist, I know Saturday's your your money day, but uh, we need we need extra help. The line for haircuts and makeup and makeovers, things like that, is really really long. But I'd love to meet you, Rebecca. So I look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate the welcome back. I appreciate the calls. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On For Life. Uh, Remember Joy of Jesus this Saturday at 11 o'clock till 3 o'clock at Travis Park in downtown San Antonio. A lot more about it all week. God bless you. We'll see you at a.m. 630 The Word tomorrow at 4. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On For Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.